0: Hello everyone and welcome to my second Halloween edition of Fascinating Nouns. This is still your stopping point, now more than ever, for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now here at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, the unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, and all the spooky things in between. I'm your host, Daniel J. Glenn. I cannot think of a better episode for for my first ever Halloween hosting Fascinating Nouns than a show about the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. Now, Now, the first word that pops into my head when I think of this place is enigma. What is an enigma? What does that mean? Well, an enigma is a saying, a question, or a picture that has a hidden meaning or a riddle. Now, why would you say that? Well, let me give you a quick history of the Winchester house. Now, Sarah Winchester built the house. She built the house for 38 years, round-the-clock construction. It's massive. Construction never stopped. Well, why did construction never stop? Well, the story is that she kept building because she was told in various seances that she, if construction ever stopped, she would die. And that the confusing nature of the house was because evil spirits were trying to track her down, And if the house was confusing, they'd never find her. Why would evil spirits be after her? Well, Sarah Winchester married into the Winchester Repeating Rifle Arms Fortune, so the gun that won the West. Lots of people were killed by that gun, and those evil spirits, she was told, were out to get her. So the house looks like it was built by a lunatic, people just building to build for no reason, just to keep going, keep the engine going so she wouldn't die. That's the story I was told. That's the story everyone's told when they go up there. But what if that... What if that was not true? Well, in my research, I found a man, Richard Allen Wagner, who's done extensive research. He's an author, researcher, 32nd degree Freemason. Why does that matter? And Rosicrucian. Why does that matter? We're going to find out. Because his argument is, every single strange piece of architecture in that house has a meaning, has a hidden meaning. And as a matter of fact, the entire house is a puzzle to be decoded. Now, isn't that a much more interesting story? Now, I will even tell you that the, even the concept of that makes so much more sense. That is order out of the chaos. It, it That makes so much more sense to me than that a woman would be building the house to run away from evil spirits. Now, there's a purpose to this house, and we're going to get into all the small little details. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm really excited about this. I want to thank Richard. Thank you for being here. Um so as, for having me. As I mentioned, I... I was fascinated with the Winchester Mansion. And I kind of bought into the whole, the story, the, the, the back history that they tell people to get them into the house. And you know, to be perfectly honest, it is an interesting story. And I wanted to do a show about it. And then I found your website. And you've done a tremendous amount of research that actually proves that the story that they tell is not true. Um, and I found that amazing. Now let's start by, why don't you give us just a quick rundown of what that original, the story they tell now, what that story is
1: that story is what i call the folklore uh it has absolutely no factual basis whatsoever there is no evidence to back it up period uh it's for the most part uh it was the folklore story kind of started during sarah winchester's lifetime when she was building the house Neighbors would spread rumors and and so on and so forth. Uh, but later on, when the Winchester Mystery House Enterprise got going and they started doing guided tours of the house, uh, it was pretty standard practice for the tour guides to just make stuff up
0: on the spot. Yeah, and,
1: and and just just for the sake of spicing up the uh, the, the tour because they were re-operating on minimal amount of information. Next to nothing was really known about Sarah Winchester's life.
0: Well, now let's, so let's, start at the, let's talk about Sarah Winchester just for a second to give people a baseline of who she is in case they don't know. So Sarah Winchester um, married William Winchester who was the son of Oliver Winchester of the Winchester Rifle Foundation, or company, I guess. Right. Okay, um, and then so he died early in their marriage, relatively. He died young, I should say. And she inherited quite a bit of money and then started building a house. And that's kind of where we start with her. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so go on, tell me a little bit about what, what the folklore is.
1: In a nutshell, the folklore just says that, uh, A, after William's death, and also, they also had a, an infant daughter who'd lived for 40 days, and her name was Annie. So in other words, it's kind of like a double whammy. Because
0: her and the husband both died in the same year, correct?
1: No, they die within several years of each other. Oh, okay. William uh, died in 1881 of tuberculosis at the age of 43. Uh, after with that, Sarah went abroad uh, to, we know she went to Europe. Uh, the full extent of her travels we can only guess at and what she was doing over there, what she did, again, we can only guess it. Uh, she came back three years later to the United States. She then relocated to San Francisco, yeah. well, New, a- New Haven, Connecticut.
0: Well, hold on, let me pause you for one second, because I really want to get a baseline of what the current folklore is. We haven't really gone into that. Okay. So, so the thought that, um, so the way, I, the way I understood it when I went there, the, the Winchester Mystery House is a large multi-room, multi-floored building, that was originally the house that she lived in and she continued building upon this house for 30 years and basically built, you know, stairways that go to nothing, cabinets that open nowhere, um, rooms that dead end, rooms that are huge, it doesn't make any logical sense when you look at the house. And so the folklore that I, that I remember uh, um, is that she was told by um, some mediums at the time, and when this was happening, a lot of that uh, New Age kind of, the, you know, seances, mediums, uh, that whole Victorian age of mysticism was very popular. So she had, you know, people conducting seances, and they told her, I, I don't remember exactly whether it was that the spirits would, uh, she would die when she stopped building the house or that she was building it to confuse the spirits of the dead from the Winchester rifle. Something like that caused, something strange and supernatural caused her to continually build this house for 30 years, correct? And that's kind of what people tell you to get you to go and, and enjoy the house on that kind of paranormal supernatural level. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Pretty much. Okay.
1: The as the folklore goes, she supposedly, again, there's absolutely nothing to back us up. She supposedly uh, had a seance with uh, a Boston medium by the name of Adam Coons. There's no evidence she she ever met the man, but yet that's the way the folklore goes, and that uh, he told her that she was cursed by her inheritance of the fabulous Winchester Arms. Fortune, that's which, right of course was 20 million dollars yeah uh, in 1881 1881 and in addition to that she held vast shares of stock in the company and she profited from that for the rest of her life to the tune of about a thousand dollars a day in royalties
0: that's insane um so so now let's let's take a step back so that's that's the that's the folklore but you've uncovered some, That's some part of it. Part of it. So you've you've uncovered much more than that. Let's start out with talking about Sarah Winchester, and let's go back to she went to she. So William William died. Her her daughter died. She went to Europe, and there's not a lot known of what happened to her during that time period. Mm-hmm. Then she comes back and ends up in San Francisco,
1: right? And the reason for relocating in San Francisco was because she had a lot of relatives living in the Bay Area and also in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year into living in San Francisco she went further inland and found the site that she would build her house on in what is now San Jose Mm -hmm. so the folklore as the folklore goes uh, because she supposedly felt cursed by her inheritance of the Winchester fortune uh, felt that she had to appease Angry, evil spirits, particular spirits, (laughs) who had, in life, been killed uh,
0: by the rifle, murdered by the Winchester
1: rifle, and so, uh, so here she is uh, building this house uh, for 38 years, up until the time she died. Oh, 38 years! Oh, wow! Up until the time she died in 1922, and it's nonstop. It's the building went on. 24/7, 24 7. 24, yeah, right, around right the 38 clock. 38 years, yeah. yeah. And the idea, again, the folklore says that uh, the, she felt that if uh, she ceased building the house at any point, the evil spirits would
0: That's a, do overtake her, hand. her, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so it looks so, given that, the house to the untrained eye looks like it was built like a lunatic designed the house, I mean, mm. or someone who was doing just that. building just to build.
1: Actually, that's not entirely true. There are a lot of very uh, rational, um, high-tech for that time, uh, elements that were incorporated into the construction of the
0: house. Oh, okay.
1: So, uh, yeah, she she put a lot of thought into the construction of it and a lot of it made sense altogether. Mm. It's just that there are unusual anomalous features here and there. Yes. You know, for example, uh, in some places, you have; she has deliberately had upside-down pillars installed. Mm. In other places, and in one place, she has stairs that go up to a, so, a solid wall and just stop. Right, yeah. those are the famous
0: stairs to nowhere. Stairs to nowhere, to nowhere. <laughs> uh, which are strange to see. I mean, it is very bizarre to look yeah. at a staircase that goes to nothing.
1: Well, she's not the only one that ever did that.
0: Oh, really? Who else did that?
1: Well, you're familiar with a place called Roslin Chapel in Scotland. Yes. Okay. They have stairs that go nowhere either.
0: I I didn't know that. Is that tied into this in some way? Could be. Hmm. So. Um, so then. So let's let's talk about Sarah Winchester a little bit. Let's give her her history a little bit. So um, she starts building the house and. Um, uh, now now here's something interesting just to briefly talk about um she was a, she was a child prodigy you mentioned yes and she knew lots of language. She's, this is a bright girl i mean she was a master musician you've mentioned um and she also had relatives who were part of societies certain uh, like secret societies at the time like well, rosicrucians yeah, the freemasons
1: one thing we need to get clear up here let's clear it up uh, society yeah, she, with secrets she was uh surrounded by uh, relatives and uh, acquaintances, who were Freemasons and Rosicrucians. Uh, originally, Freemasonry uh, and Rosicrucian, the Rosicrucian Order, were secret societies, but they didn't stay that way. So by time Sarah Wincha, by by Sarah Winchester's time, neither Freemasonry nor the Rosicrucians were any longer secret societies. Hmm. They didn't need to be. Hmm. But so all this business about oh they're secret societies. No, they're not. They're not secret societies.
0: Societies with secrets.
1: Societies with secrets.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, but she has she has ties to these to these groups, which the only reason why I mention that is because they are known for having dealing with a lot of symbology, where symbols, um, ciphers, numbers mean have a lot of inherent meaning to those particular groups. Which becomes prevalent in Sarah's in Sarah's life, uh, you were telling me a story um, on how she met um, William Winchester and ran his numbers and was kind of awestruck by that quite. So let's talk about that a little bit because I kind of found that interesting.
1: Okay the, the primary cipher that she used was uh, was a cipher that Francis Bacon used. It's called the Pythagorean cipher. It's basically one through nine. You just line, you just do your cross rows of of the alphabet. In this case, it'll be three of them. So
0: basically Pythagorean numerology.
1: Well, uh, modern numerology makes use of the Pythagorean cipher table. Okay. Other than that, there is no No, connection. No connection,
0: okay. Right. I'm just trying to sound smart, that's all. So (laughs) the
1: idea with a cipher table, of course, is to correlate certain numbers with certain Letters of the alphabet. Okay, that's it.
0: Okay, and one yeah. through one through nine only, because you reduce every number to a single digit.
1: Yes. Okay. In the
0: Pythagorean table. So thirteen yeah. would be four.
1: Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, a- again, third. You brought something up that's interesting, but it's not necessarily related to cipher tables. Uh, the number <laughs> that's what thir- I do,
0: Rick. That's what I do. The number
1: thirteen, in effect, is the number four simplified. Right. Because you have 1 and 3 is 4. Right. It's that simple. There are other ways that such a number would rotate. The number 13, for example, could also be represented in the form of the number 22. Or the number 1111. Right. And so on. Or, or, you know, uh, also the number 31 would be another way. It could be represented.
0: Well the point I was just making for the audience is that when you when you're using this table you reduce any double digit single or double digit triple digit number to a single digit and then follow on this. So and this when you would do a b c d through you know g I think it is that's 1 through 9 and then f starts to cipher over at 1. Correct? Cuz that's right. the 10th number. And
1: this is the cipher right here.
0: Rick is showing me a cipher. This is the, this is
1: the Pythagorean table here. Yes, how I've uh, how it works.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it is similar to numerology. I've, I've, I've met numerologists well, uh, yeah. who do something very similar. They, to they
1: this. use that table.
0: And the, the, the thought is that each number has an energy and that um, a combination of numbers and... According to numerology, yes. Right. So, how, does that, so how, did that, how did that fascinate Sarah Winchester when she was running the numbers on William? She
1: wasn't doing anything with regard to numerology. Okay. She, she was totally uh, in, looking at it from the standpoint of a cipher
0: okay, so so she she was more interested in the um, for lack of a better term, the coolness factor of how numbers work together and how they kind of um, relate and how they're similar to each other. I'll,
1: I'll explain what she okay. what she was doing. Okay. first of all, before she met William, uh, she was already in essence identifying with Francis Bacon because uh, Bacon made extensive use of cipher tables himself, including the Pythagorean. Table. Okay, and sure enough, her maiden name, Sarah Pardee, works out in the Pythagorean table uh, the same as Francis Bacon. In other words, they both add up in the table to the number fifty-one. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, she had to have been rather impressed with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, again, with uh, Bacon, Bacon made use of additional tables. Sarah does, too, to some extent. Primarily, she sticks with the Pythagorean table.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, she d- is well aware of what Bacon was doing at the other tables. For example, the uh, simple cipher, the name Bacon adds up to 33. Uh, and he made use of that as one of his primary cipher signatures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, also, the other primary signature was 111 or 111 which really is a Kabbalistic uh, number, a very important one. And, uh, but in Bacon's K cipher, uh, his name adds up to 111. One,
0: one.
1: Hmm. And so it goes. In the short cipher, his Bacon would add up to 15. In the reverse cipher, it would uh, add up to uh, 17, and so
0: on. Okay. Now, just to give uh, people a background on Francis Bacon. Uh, I'm sorry,
1: I in the Pythagorean uh, cipher, uh, his name adds up to seventeen.
0: Seventeen. Yeah. So they had very similar numbers. Sarah Winchester and Sarah Pardie before she became Sarah Winchester.
1: When she became Sarah Pardee Winchester, when she married William, yeah. something interesting happened with the res- with respect to the numbers as far as the cipher goes. Right. Because now you're adding fifty one Sarah Pardee to Winchester, which is fifty two, uh-huh. and you come up with a total of one hundred three. Right. Now, of course, in the way that ciphers work, especially the way Bacon worked them, was he tended to treat zeros as nulls, or non-significance, as he called them. Uh So really, the number 103 really is the number 13, Mm -hmm. and that was a number deliberately chosen to represent Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. Shakespeare's number. Yes, uh, the name Shakespeare in, in Elizabethan simple cipher, as up, two one zero
0: three. That's now. Let me pause you for one second, so I don't want to lose the audience. So Francis Bacon, just, and this is a very brief overview. Um, he was a genius. Um, right around the time that Shakespeare was writing plays, around that time it was fourteen. What mm-hmm. was that? When was it? Uh, give me timetable. The
1: late. The late. Uh, Fifteen hundreds into the early part of the seventeenth of the century.
0: Okay, I should know that. Um, so he was a genius, and he um, and you've done extensive research on him. You have a book that that connects him to Shakespeare, a whole another work. Yes. And he um, basically the the argument that you have is that he was Shakespeare, and that he loved these types of word and number games, and created basically. The cipher, these um, mathematical puzzles in the entire works of Shakespeare, and um, and that uh, Sarah Winchester knew this, knew he because because Francis Bacon was also one of the founders of modern Freemasonry, and, he of course, was the founder. Was the founder of modern Freemasonry. Yeah. So Sarah had a connection to him in that respect, um, and because of in and he was also Rosicrucian. Also Rosicrucian, mm-hmm. and both of them had an, an extreme love of math, science, and and this it, it, they're basically puzzles. They're they're yes. large, multi-layered puzzles. Absolutely, and that was in the, the argument you make in the other book is that that was Shakespeare was Francis Bacon's masterpiece, and and Sarah Winchester had a fascination with that, um, and kind of used those kind of things to and all these number systems in as she was meeting William and creating this house. Correct.
1: One of the, the primary reason Sarah uh, got into the uh, Bacon is Shakespeare doctrine mm. was that one of her neighbors happened mm. to be Delia Bacon. No relationship. No relationship. Bacon, no. But Delia Bacon was the very first person to ever write uh, a book about Bacon having been Shakespeare or the mastermind uh-huh. behind the whole. Shakespeare Enterprise.
0: the v- first person to put that idea forward, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In, in, in a book, in a book. Yeah. It's interesting that that her name was Bacon. No relation, and right. did the first book about Bacon. Um, so, and this was a neighbor of Sir Winchester.
1: Yes, and uh, Delia Bacon, in addition to having written the book and, and it got pretty wide uh, spread acclaim. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, Delia Bacon also, of course, uh, g- gave public lectures in New Haven, Connecticut. And in, and uh, elsewhere, so so here you have this prominent figure, mm. who, in essence, uh, Sarah's can't help but be associated. with. Really. Next door. Not only that, but but uh, Delia Bacon's nieces, Susan and Rebecca Bacon, uh-huh. were also classmates of Sarah's so, in school. <laughs> okay. so it's kind of hard for her not to be aware. Difficult of Delia to Bacon. get away from, yeah, yeah.
0: So, they, um, so do you think that was the first time that Sarah was introduced to Francis Bacon? No, I
1: th- it's certainly where the idea probably first hit home with her that Bacon was Shakespeare.
0: Right, okay. Sure.
1: Um, I, I suspect she was already aware of Bacon and she was already aware of, of the Cypher connection Yeah. as far as their names were concerned.
0: Sure. Now how did she meet William Winchester?
1: In church, and oh. there, uh, the Pardees and the Winchesters were very prominent citizens of New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, Sarah's father, Leonard uh, Pardee, was a joiner by trade, a very successful one. What's a joiner? When, uh, he, he built ba- stuff? Basically, he built vehicles. Okay. 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 Wagons, things like that. Okay. Uh, and when the Civil War came around he made a vast fortune by supplying the Union Army with ambulances okay on the other hand uh, Oliver Fisher Winchester who founded the Winchester Repeating Arms Company and was William Wirt Winchester's father uh, made a vast fortune first in uh, manufacturing shirts. shirts then later he went into manufacturing rifles
0: huh Shirt like, like, yeah, okay, like linen shirts. No, like men's shirts. Men's shirts, yes. Wow, and then went into <laughs> rifles. <laughs> I would imagine you have to have an engineering background to create a, a repeating rifle. I mean, this is kind of what tamed the West that and barbed wire. I mean, it was, yes, you know.
1: but uh, he wasn't the primary inventor of it. Actually, uh, uh, he had some help along those lines.
0: I would imagine so. So they had money. Both of these. A man by
1: the name of Henry, who created the famous Henry rifle, yeah, was really the the original designer of the Winchester repeating
0: rifle. Okay, so both the Parties and the Winchesters were pretty wealthy. Yes. And they met in church.
1: They went to the First Baptist Church in New Haven, Connecticut, and that's of course where uh, apparently a thirteen-year-old Sarah Winchester meets William.
0: How old was William at the time?
1: Uh, only a couple of years uh, older than she oh, was. Okay. One of the problems with uh, trying to date uh, by, by mean by date is uh, p- put dates around her. Mm. Is that she was very secretive about her birth date. There is mm. there is no official record of her birth date that exists.
0: No, no birth certificate, nothing. nothing. Really.
1: And she never told people. What her birthday was. In fact, the most important thing, and not only do we not know her birthday, we don't even know what year she was born. All wow. we again, all we can do is guess. She was obviously born sometime between 1835 and 1845. So, oh, ten years. There's though. a tendency to, to hone in on the year 1840 yeah. arbitrarily and yeah. say, "Oh, yeah, that's about when she was born." Yeah, but no one really knows for sure. No kidding. No kidding.
0: Wow. So she was so she was either 3 or 23. I guess 3 or there's a 10-year gap. So she was 13, somewhere between 8 and 16 or something. Right. When and she that, met again, Sam. that's
1: just a good guess yeah. about how old she probably was when she met William.
0: And so did they get married pretty quickly? Were they young when they got married? No, or? they actually
1: waited uh, until the Civil War was over before they tied the knot.
0: Oh, wow, so she would have been in her 30s then. Yeah,
1: she would have, no, she would have been in her early
0: 20s. Early 20s? Yeah. Okay.
1: 1865. Okay.
0: Um, and so they get they get married, and then how long are they married before Winchester uh, dies? Uh,
1: approximately uh, eight, maybe ten years.
0: Oh, no kidding. So they weren't married that long then. No. At all. Um, so then she starts... Uh, so let's talk about the house itself. Um, what are some of the anomalies that are in the house, um, and what uh, what is the actual significance of them? So we, we have her, you know, getting married. She she, she married for ten years. Um, he dies. She inherits this fortune and then starts building mm. um, with purpose. So what is the real purpose of this house?
1: There are many layers of meaning and purpose behind what she was doing in the house. Okay. So a lot of them are symbolic and a lot of them are are just Sarah expressing herself in a rather artistic and practical way. Uh, I have to understand her educational background. uh, She was educated at the Young Ladies Collegiate uh, Institute which was an arm of Yale College at that time.
0: Okay. And... Because uh, Yale wouldn't 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 accept female applicants. Not until 1970. Wow, <laughs> 1970? Yeah. I didn't Yale, realize Yale, was that recent. Yale
1: was not a co-ed uh, university up until that time.
0: Holy cow. Okay, so she's in an, uh, the female arm of right. the Yale University.
1: Okay. And she's very very well educated and one of the Principal areas of, of interest and uh, study, uh, in her curriculum, were the sciences and mathematics. Mm. She was very up on, the science and mathematics of her day. Right, and in particular with uh, the, Riemannian revolution. What that means is that, a guy by na- a German mathematician by the name of, George Bernard Riemann, in the mid nineteenth century, uh, devised a new form of mathematics, a higher dimensional type of mathematics, primarily to describe how, to describe the curvature of space. Because up until that time, uh, space was being looked upon as being a, from a geometrical standpoint, a a two-dimensional entity. And so two-dimensional Euclidean geometry was used to describe space. Okay, you know, For example, isaac that's what Isaac Newton was doing. Right, yeah. He didn't know about the idea that, uh, of space being curved. Right. Which is important because, oddly enough, uh, the curvature of space is also tied into the gravitational force.
0: Right, yeah. Okay. But we won't get that until we, no, we Einstein, get Einstein. We will get that until the next time. Yeah.
1: But, uh,
0: but these are all advanced things that she was up on. Ryman, and-
1: yeah, Ryman creates a revolution, so to speak. Okay. And he and many many people are influenced by Riemannian g- geometry. Okay. Uh, for example, William Thompson, A.K.A. Lord Kelvin, mm-hmm. uh, was very much influenced by it. Made use of it, uh, as well as William Rowan Hamilton. Uh, to this very day, uh, there are a lot of physicists who make use of Hamiltonian equations.
0: He's the mathematician.
1: Yes, he was a an Irish mathematician and poet. He came up with a higher dimensional form of mathematics called quaternions. The reason he called them quaternions was that they refer to a fourth spatial dimension. Hmm. And this became a big fascination in the latter part of the 19th century into the early part of the 20th century.
0: The idea of space-time.
1: Yeah, a huge fascination with the idea of a fourth uh, physical spatial dimension, mm-hmm. and that was born out of Riemannian geometry. Hmm. And of course, one of the many mathematicians mm-hmm. who jumped on that bandwagon was a guy by the name of Charles Dodgson,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who later became known as Lewis Carroll. Oh, really? Yes. And of course, Dodgson wanted to express artistically e- express what the Elements and features of a fourth higher dimension would be. Because they would be dramatically different than they would be in three dimensions. Right. Just like uh, two dimensions is dramatically different than three dimensions. And indeed, uh, Edwin Abbott, who was an Elizabethan Shakespearean scholar, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote a book titled Flatland.
0: Okay.
1: And in Flatland, Abbott is pointing out. Uh, he's making the point about higher dimensions by telling this tale about flatlanders who live in a two dimensional world hmm. and they have no idea of what three dimensions are like. Right. That's totally foreign to them.
0: Like a stick so, figure.
1: Yeah so they they have no concept of up down Okay. they, they have no perception of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you were to tell them you were to tell them about objects like cubes right. or spheres or, or pyramids and things like that, they would think you were nuts because yeah. what's that? Right. They're, they're used to dealing with two-dimensional versions of that, circles, squares, and triangles. uh uh-huh. Okay? Those make sense to them. Yeah. You tell them about a square, a, a cube, and they're going to think that you're nuts or you're think you're from Mars. Right, right. <laughs>
0: So she was, So Sarah had this background in all these modern m- science and mathematical theories as well as being a prodigy herself. I right. mean, she was extremely bright. Yeah. And she, she absorbed all of this
1: exactly. and,
0: th- and was able to use it, yeah. and she did use it, right. correct?
1: And she wasn't alone. Uh, not only were the mathematicians at that time absorbed in the idea of higher dimensions, uh, but it also leaked over into the art world. And so you you had appropriately called this new form of art called Cubism. Mm-hmm. Again, to tie into uh, trying to describe how things are in a fourth dimension. Right. So Cubism is Cubism was uh, focused on showing people uh, a fourth higher dimensional perspective, mm-hmm. inside and out.
0: Okay. And so how did Sarah utilize these concepts?
1: Well, well, before I get into that, I'll also mention another important artist, Okay. perhaps the most significant one, which was M.C. Escher, Moritz Cornelis Escher. He was a Dutch artist, and he was absolutely, totally uh, fascinated with and obsessed with higher dimensions. And, of course, his art reflects that. Most of his art is designed to... To just just like with, uh, a- Abbott writing about Flatland, and just like with Lewis Carroll writing about the, the unique, strange, quirky aspects of a fourth dimension in in his books Al- Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through mm. the Looking Glass, right? Uh, so too does M. C. Escher in his art. He does. In fact, you have a couple of uh, of his pieces right there in front of you. Okay,
0: I love uh, these on the website as well. These are so. This is. I assume this is the one you're talking right. about.
1: Uh, but that Does, does that stairs? kind of remind you of some of the features of the Winchester? House? It
0: sure does. Now this is this is a famous uh, famous piece of art where it's basically stairs go all going up, but it's like a triangle. So it's stairs going up to stairs going up to stairs going up. Right. Is that what this? That's what this. Well, is, the importance
1: right? of that particular piece there is that. Try and distinguish between up and down. Right. You can't. No matter how you look at that, uh, there is no distinguishing between up and down, and that's one of the theoretical uh, aspects of what we of the features of a fourth dimension. Wow. Uh, you know, you would not just, you would not be as you do in three dimensions. You wouldn't be. You'd have difficulty distinguishing between up and down, forward, backwards, and forward, left and right.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Large and small, in higher dimensions, things take on a whole different meaning.
0: Well, it's pretty amazing, like As I'm flipping it around. It is it, you, you. It's a picture either way. I mean, how do you hang it? How do you? <laughs> exactly. If you're the curator, how it do you hang matter. it? Yeah. Huh.
1: And that's the whole point that Escher's getting at with that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's doing. He's showing you a higher higher dimensional perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in higher dimensions, things like up and down and forward and backwards and all that kind of stuff that's all three dimensional Th- these are three dimensional characteristics in higher dimensions those those distinctions dissolve mm-hmm. and he sh- he's showing that he's showing it also in the other piece that you have in front of you with regard to pillars this particular piece he called Doric pillars and notice that he again is showing them in such a way that you can't make a distinction between up up uh, an upright pillar or an upside down pillar Right. He's the distinction dissolves.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: And sure enough, when Sarah is building her house, she's doing the same thing that these guys are doing. Uh, a lot of there, a lot of people have noticed the similarity between Escher's work and the odd features that Sarah incorporates into the building of her home. Okay. And sure enough, uh, you know you have. So when you have stairs leading to to apparently nowhere, she's showing you something different. She's showing you a higher dimensional perspective. Uh, Because in higher dimensions, uh, theoretically, uh, one could conceivably walk through walls. Whereas in three dimensions, of course, you couldn't do that.
0: Right. Okay. Um, so now, so this, so you're saying that she was really pulling from these abstract, right, and trying to create them in real life,
1: right. That's okay. what she's doing with the unusual features in the house. For okay. example, uh, you know, in some cases she would have a skylight above a skylight with a roof over it, right. <laughs> or in another case, another place in the house, she had a skylight embedded, built into the floor.
0: Right. (laughs) Okay. I don't remember seeing those, but it does not surprise me that they would be in there.
1: Right. She was thoughtful enough, of course, to put a railing around it so no one would fall through it. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But again, the folklore would have you believe that, oh, no, she did this to confuse evil spirits. Yeah. Which is pretty silly considering that uh, if they really believe their their own story, then why would... Uh, evil spirits in seances instruct her to confuse them.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's I, that's confusing though. Kind of silly, isn't it's it? Very silly. Doesn't make sense. No. Um, so now some of the other, now some of the other rooms and and um, features weren't abstract. They weren't based on abstract paintings. They were, had very purposeful symbolic meanings. Right. So let's talk about some of those. Okay like, uh, like cuz there's a staircase in the back that you know it's big steps little steps it makes seven spins and it's very takes for forever to walk through and it's not very efficient
1: right you're yeah. you're referring to what the people at the Winchester Mystery House call the switchback staircase or yes. some of them even call it the goofy <laughs> okay. That's their little pet name for
0: it. Yeah, but it, that's what it. I mean, it's and it's very awkward and difficult to walk up, and it seems you know it's seven. I never felt that way about it. Really, no, you're making like seven really. turns, and uh,
1: what it is, what it literally is, is a, is a winding staircase that emulates an Archimedes uh, an Archimedes spiral, mm-hmm. winds inward and inward, round and round, mm-hmm. and as you pr- progress higher up. Uh, then eventually you make your way to the top. Now, of course, uh, the important aspect of this is, number one, it has these tiny little stairs that aren't quite two inches in, high, in height.
0: Right, and the number specific, right? There's a specific number. And there are 44 of them. 44.
1: And that's important, too. And there are seven turns. So in other words, as the stairs are winding round and round, there, it does it seven times. Symbolic purpose of that of the seven turns is that it goes to the symbolism of Jacob's ladder. Yes. Now that's important both in the Kabbalistic tradition uh, and it's also important to Freemasonry.
0: Now Jacob's ladder is the ladder that went to heaven. It was it was um, a vision of a ladder that ascended to heaven.
1: Right. And it was actually more ramp like than it was stair like.
0: More like an escalator.
1: Right. Which is precisely what Sarah's doing with this set of stairs. Because you notice that when you're walking up stairs that are, are just under two inches in height. Right. It's more like walking up a ramp.
0: That's than true, just yeah. Like walking up stairs. Yeah, they're very small steps.
1: Yeah. And that, that was the whole point of it.
0: Okay. Um, so what what other what are some of the other anomalies? So like the front gate, uh, there's a isn't there a um, a hedge maze, or is there some kind of like a am I wrong?
1: Okay, she during her uh, her life there at the house, uh, gradually she had hedges uh, put up all around the property. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, the hedges themselves don't have any particular meaning, okay, uh, but you're referring to the front gate.
0: There's a front yes,
1: the front gate uh, was the, the in- entrance into that under the property. I mean, there was no other way when she lived there that anyone could, would gain access. You had to go through the front gate, mm-hmm. which was two gates that would swing open, wrought iron gates. Mm-hmm. But she had some symbols attached to them. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, the two symbols are sun symbols.
0: Two, two different sun symbols. It was
1: like two sunbursts.
0: Yes. right,
1: With 16 radiance. So each gate has one, they're identical.
0: What do these uh, represent?
1: And the significance of that, of course, is that that's Masonic as well. And it refers to the insignia of a senior deacon of a Masonic Blue Lodge. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that the primary function of a senior deacon in a Masonic Lodge is that he acts as the guide for the initiate or candidate in all three of the Blue Lodge Masonic degrees.
0: So he's the person who greets them at the their initiation.
1: When the, when the candidate enters the lodge room, it is a senior deacon who then takes him by the, by the elbow, so to speak, and the shoulder. Yeah. and because the, the candidate is blindfolded uh-huh. and he leads him around. He, he's his guide, period.
0: okay, throughout all three other degrees. And that is the first entry point onto the property. So that's the connection.
1: That's the connection, and the reason for that is that Sarah had a tendency to to look at all people who came onto the property or entered the house as prospective initiates. Why? Because the house really is a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's designed for the initiate to make discoveries uh, and and fig and try and figure out the puzzle. Right. Okay. So here, when you come in the front gate, you're being greeted by insignia of the senior deacon. Right. Okay. And now you're on the path of self-initiation.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay.
1: And as you pass through the gates, you then pass between two large palm trees. This is significant because they represent another feature in a Masonic Blue Lodge, which are two pillars. These were designed to replicate the porch pillars of King Solomon's Temple. These were known as named Boaz and Jochen. Okay. So in all Masonic Blue Lodges, when the candidate enters from the northwest corner, which by the way is also where that staircase is. Right. That's how you enter the house. Uh-huh. Uh, when he enters, he also passes between those two pillars. So when you're going onto the property, you go through that gate, and then you pass between these two palm trees. Originally when Sarah planted them, they were about four feet tall. Now to to this very day though, the original ones are there, but that's what they represent. They represent those twin pillars.
0: Okay. And so every person who enters into the house is going through this exact same, and everyone would enter the house through the northwest during During her time. During her time, Yes. yes. yes.
1: And, and the only way to enter, uh, she never had people enter through the front door. Right. They always entered through that staircase in the back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so masonic from, from a standpoint of Masonic symbolism, is twofold. Uh, one of the key features of the Masonic second degree is the winding staircase. Okay. And then again, this again uh, originated, the concept of that, that originated was Francis Bacon. Mm. Bacon in one of his writings stated, all rise to a greater place by a winding stair.
0: Mm.
1: Notice that that winding stair has the initials WS. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's important. So you also have the initials WS in the name William Shakespeare. Mm. You also have the initials WS in in the business of Hiram Abiff, the legendary founder of, of masonry. Of course, there never was any, any real person, historically or otherwise, but named Hiram Biff. It's just it's just a legend, is what it is. It's Hir- a legend that Bacon invented.
0: Hiram Biff.
1: Yes, but the interesting thing about Hiram, in addition to being the legendary founder, mm-hmm. okay, because really, what Hiram is is an alter ego of
0: Bacon's, like a gnome de plume. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in a, in effect, in a sense.
0: Oh, I mean, there wasn't writing anything. Hiram wasn't writing anything. Yeah, Shakespeare would be right. his gnome de plume,
1: right? Right. Uh, and the interesting thing, is, of course, is that Hiram, in the Hiramic legend, is a widow's son. Once again, you have those those letters W S.
0: Hmm.
1: That's why they're there. That's why, that's, that's why there's this allusion to his being a widow's son. There is no other reason to allude to him as such. Right. Okay? It makes it makes no difference to the Hiramic story that he happens to be a widow's son. It's just a neat way for Bacon to slip the letters W, S in again. Right. <laughs> and of course, what's the significance of those two letters? Well, once again, you go to the Pythagorean cipher table and you find the, the letter W, corresponds to number the uh, number 5,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the number S corresponds to the number 1. So once again, you have that number 51. Mm-hmm. It's Francis, the name Francis Bacon in the Pythagorean table, and interestingly enough, it's also the name Sarah Pardee.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Think she didn't know that?
0: Of course I, she knew that. <laughs> so what other numbers are significant to her that she repeats over and over?
1: The number 103, of course, just as just as it was in the case of Shakespeare.
0: Uh-huh. 103 and 13,
1: correct? Right, because 103, 103 actually becomes 13.
0: Right. By default. And what other numbers?
1: 111, which is again Bacon in the K cipher. 103 is Shakespeare in the simple cipher. But also 103 in the Pythagorean cipher table is Sarah Pardi. Winchester so obviously she had to be pretty impressed by those numbers
0: now how come he goes back between the two different tables
1: Oh, Bacon was very much into mingling ciphers and I get into that in one of my latest articles I wrote that's online now Where is it? Where uh, which you is find? titled the truth about the Freemasons so I explain all that stuff in great detail every bit of it so I recommend that anyone who wants to delve into this deeper by all means Go to that site. There's two ways of getting to it. Either you can just enter uh, www.thetruthaboutthefreemasons.com, or just go on to my master site, which is uh, the www.thetruthaboutshakespeare.com,
0: and that'll lead you to all the other ones. Yeah, the truth, the truth about Shakespeare. Right. Okay. Um, so these numbers appear all over the place, um, and seven 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 was one as well, right?
1: Yes. The interesting thing about that, in addition to being a very important cabalistic number, uh, 777 again relates to William Win- Wirt Winchester's uh, name. Uh, again, let's we'll back up just for a moment. Uh, part of the significance of the number 111 doesn't just go to Francis Bacon. It also applies to William Wirt Winchester because, of course, in the Pythagorean cipher table, the name William mm. is equals 34, the name Wirt, W-I-R-T, equals 25, and the name Winchester is 52. Then they all add up to 111. Mm-hmm. You think she wasn't impressed with that? Of course she was. But when she saw William's numbers like that, I mean, it, it had to have blown her away. Right. In addition to that, you have the fact that okay, the name William is 34, mm-hmm. which by the way is also the name Francis. <laughs>
0: okay, It's 34. Then,
1: yeah, 34. And actually three and four then is seven. Mm-hmm. work is 25, so two and five is seven. Winchester is five and two, so again you have seven. So again, Sarah looks at that and goes, wow, he's also 777. Isn't that something? That's yeah. crazy. In addition to that, you take his his initials W W W. Okay, again, it's Pythagorean table. What's that? That's three fives, five five five, and that's a very another significant number in Freemasonry.
0: What does it What does it mean?
1: It stands for uh, number one. It stands for the five senses, uh-huh. and the five classic forms of architecture, uh-huh. and also for the five uh, points of fellowship. That has significance to Freemasons, the average person doesn't even know what that means. Right. Okay, but all Freemasons, they know what that means and it has significance to them. But that's why that number is so important. And of course you, as most people know, uh, George Washington was a Freemason. In -hmm. fact, most of the founding fathers of the United States were. But what I'm getting at here is that the Washington Monument, interestingly enough, is precisely Five hundred and fifty-five feet high.
0: Well, you know, no
1: coincidence,
0: right? Well, what's funny about that is uh, because the whole idea, kind of what struck me about this, the Sarah Winchester, this whole story, is that it reads like a Dan Brown novel. And one of Dan Brown's novels, he follows the Freemasons, and they talk about all the connections and that the Washington Monument's, you know, five hundred and fifty-five feet. Interesting that
1: a non-Mason would do that.
0: Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) They, they try.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, but it's but it's you know but a lot of the things in this Winchester House are the same way. Yeah. Um. So the seven seven seven. You were telling me about the Shakespearean windows. Can we talk about those for a little bit? Sure. Um. So tell me, tell me what 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 are they? I, I've got a picture here. I'm going to put it on the website so people can mm-hmm. follow along. Um. just kind of kind of break these down for us.
1: Okay. Once one got in in up to the second level, uh, the house, entering by means of this winding staircase also Jacob's Ladder because that's really what it was intended to represent. Mm-hmm. It, obviously Sarah never referred to it as the Goofy or the Switchback Staircase. Right. She clearly would have referred to it as Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Right. So you enter up through Jacob's Ladder, you go into the house and eventually you make your way to what she called her grand ballroom. And... So there are a lot of interesting features in the ballroom. Okay. One of the most interesting ones, of course, are these two stained glass windows that flank the fireplace on both sides. So the one on the left uh, has an inscription from Shakespeare. The one on the right has an inscription from Shakespeare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The one on the left, she knew that, you know, the Occidental mind would read from left to right, so she wants you to start with the one on the left, of course,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was that say it says, "Wide, Wide uh-huh. unclasp the tables of their thoughts." Now, of course, it used to be. By the way, in the old days, uh, when tour guides were giving their tours, in the old days they didn't they didn't really know that those were words from Shakespeare. Mm. They, they originally thought that they were just words that she made up, Random and they words. didn't seem to make any sense. Right. And the first time, I remember the first time I ever visited the Winchester house, which was in 1990, uh, they hadn't figured that out yet. And so they, they would just look at the windows and they'd shrug their shoulders and go, wow, well, these are strange words, and they must have had some kind of significance to Sarah Winchester, but we have no idea what they mean, mm. okay? They are kind of weird. So, what she's doing with those words, wide unclasp the tables of her thoughts, is she is. What, what is she talking about? What, what, what tables is she talking about? What's she referring to? Okay? No idea. She's referring to cipher tables.
0: Oh. That's what,
1: that's what that means. Wide unclasp the tables of their thoughts. That's a direct reference to cipher tables. Yes. Come on, people. What do you think she's telling you? Yeah. Okay? She's pulling this out of Shakespeare. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what she wanted, then wanted the initiate to do was also look upwards and look at the ceiling in the ballroom. And the ceiling of the ballroom has nine, get this, nine main ceiling panels. Or more accurately, one through nine ceiling panels.
0: Um,
1: Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. She's drawing your attention to the Pythagorean cipher table. That's what she's doing. And each of the nine main panels has 13 subpanels. So she's doing something else that's very clever. Okay? If you're showing nine sets of the number 13, what are you doing? You're multiplying. Yeah. She's already done it for you. You'll notice that in both of the Shakespearean windows, the one on the right, by the way, says, "These same thoughts people this little world." Okay, what's she talking about? What is this? Okay, but notice what she's done. Both of these inscriptions that have been pulled out of the, uh, Shakespeare have. is again, she's all like Bacon. She's she's operating on multiple levels of meaning. Okay, When you look these up in their respective plays, the one in, on, the, on the left is from Act 4, Scene 5, A *Troilus and Cressida. These are words being spoken by Ulysses. Okay. Why didn't class the tables of your thoughts? Well, she deliberately omits the first word in that line. Okay, Does the same with the other window as well. And these same thoughts people this little world. She again omits the first word. Why does she do that? Because she deliberately wants to show you seven words in each window. Why is she doing that? Well, here again, we're getting back to those sevens, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the number 77 has importance to her.
0: So this isn't 777. Seven, seven. There isn't another 7 involved in this, this someplace. This is the number 77.
1: Right, and, and again, you're uh, the person viewing this is compelled to ask the question, does she want us to view it as two separate 7s or view it as the number 77? Okay, mm-hmm. And so we, we, again, look up at the ceiling, and she's already answered the question because what do you have? What are 913s? Well, nine times 13 is 117, which by the way is another important number.
0: 117. It was
1: another important number to Frances Bacon and it's an important number to her. Now what's happening with 117? Well, you got the number 11 and the number seven standing side by side next to each other, juxtaposed. Mm-hmm. And as you recall, uh, all throughout the house, she's constantly putting on a display of numbers. Seven, 11, and 13 are the most common ones. 13 being the most common and the most important, okay? She's always showing these three numbers. Uh, and we'll, I'll get into that in a little bit, why she's doing that. So she's saying, okay, go do the math, folks. You have 11, you have seven, what are you gonna do with it? Okay, you're going to multiply it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now you've answered your question. Now you realize but you should look at those two sevens as a seventy-seven, mm-hmm. that's what she's doing. Eleven with. times seven, right? Yeah. Now notice that the window on the right side. These same thoughts, people, this little world, come from the Shakespeare play Richard II, Act Five, Scene Five. You kind of notice a kind of a synchronicity here. See in the the line from Troilus and Cressida. That's from Act Four, Scene Five from Richard II is act five, scene five. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, why is this important to Sarah? Because she's actually using one of Bacon's cipher techniques, and Bacon was very clever with this. So was she. Add 45 and 55 together, what do you get? 100, of course. Mm -hmm. And to Bacon, 100 was a very important name because His name in simple cipher was Francis equals 67, Mm -hmm. Bacon in simple cipher is 33, equals 100. Mm -hmm. And he made extensive use of that. And I get into that in greater depth in not only my article titled The Truth About Sarah Winchester, which really tells you everything you need to know, but also in uh, the book uh, titled the Lost Secret of William, William of uh, William Shakespeare.
0: Well, let's let's talk because we only have a couple minutes left. Right. Let's talk about this. Can we talk about the séance room really quickly? The supposed séance room. Because you had, when we had we talked privately. Oh yes, yeah, the good old séance room. Uh, you so you kind of broke down the séance room mm-hmm. uh, in a way that made perfect sense to me. So so let's talk about it for a second.
1: Well, again, this goes to the folklore. Uh, absolutely dead center. In the house. I mean, she deliberately builds the small cubicle shaped room in the precise center of the house. And of course, the folklore tells us that this was her seance room. This was where she conducted seances every night at midnight to receive instruct building instructions from the spirits. Right. Well, that's not true. And there's no evidence to ever back that up. And like I said, uh, the, the evidence actually runs contrary to that. Because as, as I noted, uh, uh, Ralph Rambo, who knew Sarah, n- n- realized that he knew that she didn't have any spiritual leanings, or that she ever conducted seances. And certainly Henrietta Severs said the same thing about her.
0: Didn't believe she, in spirits. She, never, believe in-
1: she wasn't into that stuff. She didn't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have real tangible evidence to refer to. Okay. as far as that goes now what's going on with this room I it's mean if not it's not seance- being used for seances exactly. like they're telling us
0: mm-hmm.
1: like a folklore wants us to think what's she doing with this room Yeah. well not only was she uh, very much into Freemasonry in fact she very likely was a Freemason by the way mm-hmm. but she was also into Rosicrucianism and of course during her time if you were one you probably were the other Okay. Now Ralph Rambo lays on a real important clue in his short book titled Lady of Mystery and that is he makes a statement. It was believed that Sarah was a theosophist. In other words, a member of the Theosophical Society or, or at least uh, ascribed to the Theosophical Philosophy and Principles. Okay, And uh, part of the Theosophical Philosophy and Principles is a, Idea of an ever-building universe. Does that make sense? Does that kind of kick in this ever-building theme.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's very Theosophical. It goes to root of, to a great Theosophist by the name of Rudolf Steiner. Yes, who also was a Rosicrucian. Okay, that's what she's doing this ever-building stuff. By the way, that's why she's always doing that. Oh, okay. It's the ever-building theme of Theosophy. Okay, but again, during her time, uh, if if one was a, a, a Theosophist. They also, in many cases, were also Freemasons and or Rosicrucians. Many prominent theosophists were both.
0: Okay. So this room is not a seance room. It no, is a... a
1: all, all Amarc Rosicrucians, that's the largest Rosicrucian organization in the world. Mm. Uh, all, all Amarc Rosicrucians meditate in what they call their in, a, in a, a space or a room that they, they refer to as their sanctum, their sanctum room. Uh, ideally it would be a room by itself but not everyone's set up that way so if one doesn't have a room for that uh, then one would set up a space for it and they would have set up a table and they would have a, a mirror and they would have two candles and so on and that's how they would meditate.
0: And it was an center of the room to be away from sound and exactly. any kind of distractions.
1: Exactly. The, pra- the purpose for being in the exact middle or as close to the middle of, a, of one's home you could be in was to be as far away from ambient sound as you could so you wouldn't be disturbed right. from outside noise.
0: Um, well that makes that makes perfect sense is why I mean because the seance room doesn't make any sense I mean it's just funny how these the right folklore and she's not a
1: spiritualist and she's not reconducting seances is what she's yeah. doing with this room
0: right exactly well and you know this is kind of um, you know we're, we're out of time so I just want to so this is this is kind of the, the theme of everything that you've done is that the folklore doesn't match up to the to the evidence the real no. evidence of what's going on there and uh, and,
1: and the big kicker of course and all that is come on people let's face it if Sarah Winchester truly believed that she was cursed by the Winchester fortune and the spirits were kind of in charge so to speak and she was obeying their instructions and so on and so forth, if she really believed all that why in the world for the rest of her life would she own and maintain vast shares of stock in the Winchester repeating arms company that she profited from Mm -hmm. until the day she died?
0: Making Why other, would she do that? Making other spirits angrier as she would. Yeah, if that, uh, that was
1: doesn't that doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, she was she was she thought she was cursed by the fortune.
0: Not hardly. Right. Uh, well, that's an interesting point. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Um, we're going to leave it there, um, but I want to thank you for kind of running this stuff down. I don't think uh, I'm going to make a trip up there. I don't think my trip will be the same. I'm going to look for every one of these things, uh, kind of have a new perspective on on what's going on up there. And um, I'm going to learn how to add and multiply very quickly so I can pick up. <laughs> calculators 4. Calculation uh, 4. Anyway, thank you, uh, Rick Wagner. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's quickly give out your websites any way people can get in touch with you. Um, main website is the truth about Shakespeare.
1: That is a master site. A master site. And it, it links to everything.
0: Okay, um, and so it has contact information. Everything's yes. on that website. Everything is on that. And the book, um, the book is the the truth about William Shakespeare. The
1: the book title is the Lost Secret
0: of William Shakespeare. The Lost Secret of William and Shakespeare. And
1: anyone can freely download that. All they have to do is go to www. The Secret. Of WilliamShakespeare.com, or just go on to the master site; it'll link you up to it anyway. In fact, all eleven of my primary sites do the same thing.
0: They'll link. We'll link you up to it. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I hope people download it and check it out. And uh, it's great stuff. I mean, the, it's uh, you know very similar story with Francis Bacon and William Shakespeare. And uh, you make a lot of good points. It's well researched, uh, heavily documented, and, and if,
1: to find find out much much more than we. Because we've only scratched the surface here today. Yeah. To really get uh, in-depth detail about everything you need to know about Sarah Winchester, just simply go to my newest, one of my newest uh, websites, which is www.thetruthaboutsarahwinchester.com.
0: There it is. It's all there. All right, Rick Wagner. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you talking to me. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night.